When I say disease, is coronavirus the first thing you think of? Probably so. But in agriculture, we can't take our eye off the ball for any potential bacteria or virus targeting our crops or livestock. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week, we are admittedly a little disease heavy. And while coronavirus is part of the conversation, we go beyond that topic to discuss much more. We start with Paula Moore, editor of The Farmer Magazine, which covers Minnesota. In that state, the Department of Agriculture has developed a kind of ag-focused playbook for building a plan around coronavirus response, and Paula discusses that issue. She also issues a warning for farmers to keep an eye out for two relatively new crop diseases in the region. We follow that by talking with Ann Hess, editor of National Hog Farmer, who digs into the new foot and mouth disease vaccine bank and what that means for the industry. She also touches on what the swine industry has learned so far from the coronavirus crisis. First up is Paula Moore with The Farmer. Well, Paula, it's good to catch up with you in Minnesota. I would ask you about the conditions here or what's going on, but actually I've been out driving in the country and I'm in Minnesota, so I know the crop looks good and it's tasseling, which is exciting. Uh, Good to talk to you. Uh, How are you guys doing today? Real good, real good. We've got beautiful blue sky up here in northern Anoka County and beautiful weather, low 80s. So uh, can't can't ask for anything better. Okay. And as we're recording this on Thursday, I would like to also inform the listeners that by the time you hear this, it'll be in the 80s with a dew point in Costa Rica level 70s. So that's how fast the weather changes in Minnesota. It's an exciting (laughs) time for us. So it's good. The other thing too is I live at one end of the Twin Cities and Paula lives on the other. And frankly, I think I have to have a visa to get to Anoka County, but that's a whole different issue. One of the one of the areas we've all been looking at and, and covering at Farm Progress across the Farm Progress brands is, of course, COVID-19 and some of its impacts on the farm. In Minnesota, the Minnesota Department of Agriculture issued some guidelines recently on that, and you kind of talked about that a little bit. Would you share what they're trying to accomplish there? Yeah, the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, and this is in response to the fact that the governor had declared an executive order back in April designating certain critical care businesses and farms and farmer markets and other ag businesses fell under that executive order. And hence, when they did, they were required to come up with a COVID-19 preparedness plan. And the goal was to have something in place by June 29th. So essentially what MDA was asking farmers to do then, and they had all this laid out on their website, it's still there, but they offered some templates and some webinars and so forth to explain what you should do to pull together a preparedness plan. And essentially, in a way, it's kind of like a farm that would be pulling together a biosecurity plan. What would you do if this happened on your farm? And so essentially, going through a document like that would help the farmer identify steps to, first of all, put things in place to help prevent the disease, but then also monitor it and if it was present on the farm and an employee or a family member what to do after that so it kind of sounded more like it was suggested for farms when this came out i think the intent was more so for farm operations fruit and vegetable growers i mean places that had more face-to-face contact with the public 
so they could share with the public. These are some steps we've got in place to help protect you as our customer and also protect us as a business. Also, too, that when it does come to, you know, general livestock and crop farms, farms with 10 or more employees, it was suggested that they pull this plan together because if OSHA wanted to look at it, they would have to produce the document. That was my understanding that Mm -hmm. employees, you know, farms with 10 or more employees, they're subjected to OSHA standards. So they would need to have that plan if they were asked to be able to produce it. So again, in a nutshell, all that information is available on MDA's website about the preparedness plan. They do offer it in English and Hmong, Somali, and Spanish. Mm. Cut. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the issue, the issue there, too, that's interesting, and that this podcast does go nationally, would be for farmers anywhere in the country that wanted some sort of a framework plan, perhaps, to initiate on their own operations. The Minnesota Department of Agriculture has kind of done the legwork for you, and they've done it in five languages. Yeah. So you could, if you're a dairy operator in California, you needed a Spanish framework, you could get this and there'd be something there that might be helpful to you and that you could communicate it to your employees. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. They, it, it's it's pretty thorough. In visiting with some farmers around the state, it sounds like they've definitely thought about how they would respond if and when COVID was on their operation. Some of them are looking at it from the perspective that, yeah, getting back to, say, for example, if you're a hog operation, you've got a biosecurity plan in place. So steps with that fall in line with what you would be doing to respond to COVID. So I think farmers, it's it's in the front of their minds on how they would handle it, might not necessarily be formalized and written in this document. Right. And I get that. But I think the other side of this is something some people don't always think about is if you're a principal operator of an operation and you have two or three employees, but you're the decision maker and you get this and you're taken out, there's no guarantee that COVID's going to take you out. There's a wide range of the ways this thing impacts people. But you should have some sort of plan for who's going to be the decision maker if you're on a respirator for two weeks exactly. or laid up. Yeah. And and this helps with that, too. And I think that's something we don't always think about. That's good. I appreciate the coverage on that, Paul. It's great that the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. So if farmers are looking for this, they can just search Minnesota Department of Agriculture on Google because the website for the state is actually mda.state.mn.us. So I would recommend anybody listening to this who's not in Minnesota, just search Minnesota Department of Agriculture and you'll be able to find COVID response documentation. And I think that would be something that uh, would be helpful to some people around the country, but especially for Minnesota farmers who say, maybe I should think about this, at least have the document in hand to look at. So thanks. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to quick add too that in general, Minnesota's agricultural groups have been very much on top of this too with COVID. If you visit the various websites, Minnesota Farm Bureau, Farmers Union, corn, milk, pork, beef, turkey, they've all got different information about COVID, how to specifically help their members. And so they've all done a really good job with with helping membership. Yeah, I think the commodity groups have really stepped up nationally on this. But at the state level, this gets to be very important. So it's good. You know, keeping along our, our line of conversation, I guess we're kind of in a disease mode today. You've been talking to a crop expert in Minnesota. Uh, he's flying a few red flags to say something to look for in your crops uh, this fall and in Minnesota. But I think this is true for anybody if this these have not popped up yet. Who are you talking to? What are the, the diseases he's talking about? 
Yeah, I was speaking with Dean Malvik. He's a plant pathologist at the University of Minnesota, and he is recommending that crop farmers specific to corn, that they start scouting for tar spot. As you mentioned, Willie, we've got tasseling corn here, corn's further along, and given parts of the state where it's been, well, either hot and humid or, I mean, we've had our share of some cool weather too and some detrimental weather, but bottom line, some conditions are being ripe here for tire spot. He suggests folks get out and scout for that. And then specifically to soybeans, he's talked about farmers looking for frog eye leaf spot. And he would really like growers to take pictures, uh, email him if they might suspect something. And then also too, they could be sending samples into the University of Minnesota lab so they could get confirmation on whether or not, you know, it's those specific diseases. Yeah, I mean, the the uh, tar spot is pretty disgusting if you look at it um, online. They are little black spots on your corn, and it uh, is an interesting image. And it can be pretty damaging because it does a lot to leaf area on the corn, right when you probably don't want anything happening on leaf area when you're trying to get grain fill, which is important. Frog eye leaf spot, again, same problem, right? And it happens at a time, right, when the crop is trying to do its real job of producing a seed pod. Very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. Both new. And they haven't really shown up in Minnesota. They've shown up in farther, farther south in some form, I think, but we're new to it here, right? Well, tar spot was in Minnesota for the first time last growing okay. season, and it was in four counties along the southern border, southeast corner there, the state. Mm. So even though that's where it showed up last year, Dean was saying he wants growers all over the state to be on the lookout for this. And also, too, he, he cautioned me. He said, you know, when you see these pictures on the website, it shows all these dark spots on leaves. And he yeah. said, at this time, they're not going to show up like that. It could just be, you know, a few dots on a leaf. And he said, take your nail scrape on it. If it doesn't come off, that's that potential right there. It's tire spot. It, it, it stays in the leaf. You can't scrape it off with your nail. So in this early stage, again, you, you won't see many spots on leaves. Yeah, there are some. There's a good website. If you search tar spot, this, the Crop Protection Network from Land Grant Universities has a range of photos, and I would recommend that. Same with frog eye leaf spot. And one thing farmers should be aware of with frog eye leaf spot, which is still relatively new in certain parts of the country, it is already in the South showing resistance to strobilurins, which is not a bad thing. It just means you need to know that so that you can mix up your modes of action to make sure you're getting to the heart of the matter, I guess, is the best way to put that. Well, Paula Moore with the Farmer Magazine, it's been great talking to you today about, I guess, diseases, but <laughs> I look forward to speaking with you in the future about other things going on in Minnesota agriculture. Appreciate your time today and uh, thank you. Thank you, Willie. Take care. Many folks who don't live on the farm may be unaware of just how many external forces seem geared toward keeping us from producing food. Crop and livestock diseases can cut into profits and the long-term health of farms and herds. Thanks to Paula Moore for her insight on key issues from her part of the country. For Ann Hess, a national hog farmer, coronavirus has been a big challenge, but there are other serious issues for the swine industry. She shares insight on a few of those key topics. And we haven't caught up in a while. It's good to check in on the swine industry to find out what's going on. Obviously, I think things have leveled out in the meat packing side, which means we turn our attention back 
to other more critical issues in terms of actual issues of disease and concerns on the farm. And I guess there was some pretty big news in the last couple of weeks that the U.S. government has finally started investing in a vaccine bank. And they're starting with foot and mouth disease. What does that really mean? I guess my favorite question here is why should a farmer care? Great question, Willie. Um, yeah, uh, you know, as much disruption there was over the last few months and maybe and starting to see some some normalcy pick up here. But um, the beat goes on when we talk about uh, uh, the U.S. swine industry's um, preventive measures against foreign animal diseases coming in. And so last week, the USDA Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service um, announced that they're investing $27.1 million in a foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. Um, this was part of the 2018 Farm Bill, and this bank is for U.S. only, where previously we had some stock in a North America bank. But yeah, as you mentioned, we haven't had FMD in the U.S. since 1929, and I think, you know, the USDA is pretty confident that we're going to keep that out. But um, see the vaccine as an extra insurance policy. Obviously, if we were to get FMD, you know, we would see international markets temporary, temporarily stop. And, and so this would be a way we could still keep some products moving domestically. And, you know, with um, Iowa State research, you know, they estimate that if we had an outbreak, it could cost $128 billion in losses for pork and beef. So really, it was it was something that was needed for a long time. And I think, especially with COVID and, and seeing things there as far as getting vaccines, getting testing, you know, um, this is something the National Pork Producers Council has been advocating for for a long time. So it's good to see it finally come through. I think sometimes FMD maybe sits second to African swine fever sometimes on the minds of our of the people in our industry. Which both would be devastating if they got here. But FMD, we have a vaccine, so it makes sense to invest. Do you know how a vaccine bank would be deployed? That's a good question. Um, two companies did receive the funding to create the vaccine. I know there is a um, APHIS has opened up a comments period for another vaccine manufacturer that the way they've manufactured the vaccine, um, it's no longer, it's modified that it's not live and, and they want to be able to make the vaccine here. But, you know, that, that opens up the question of FMD being live vaccine versus dead. And so anyway, the virus itself. So, um, yeah, a good question on how on how well that would be available. I believe it would be stocked then in the U.S. and right in Plum Island, I believe. Yeah, so it's just some assurance in case something like that should happen. You know, you mentioned African swine fever. Let's move away from FMD for a second. That's a hot topic, and that still is. There's more um, work, I think, being done to look at potentially enhancing biosecurity or reviewing biosecurity measures. And the Swine Health Information Center is also doing some interesting work. And let's talk about that. They're studying ASF in Vietnam. That's correct. Last fall, um, the Swine Health Information Center received a 1.7 million USDA uh, Foreign Agricultural Service grant to do research there because they do have African swine fever. And there's six projects. Paul Sundberg, the executive director there, says there's more to come. They're looking at um, evaluating oral fluids for detection, the validity of the test and remove practices with 
ASF, rodents as vectors, time and temperature required for inactivation, and composting for inactivation, and then methods of decontamination for truck caps, which I know um, Kansas State University has been involved with some of that work, the trucks coming in out of the feed mills. Well, that's a a hot topic. I mean, if we get it, how do you get rid of it? Uh, Clean out so you can get a fresh start. Absolutely. And there's some other stuff going on. You mentioned a G4 strain. Amidst all of the things going on with the word pandemic, um, there was research that came out of China about a new influenza strain, swine influenza virus with pandemic potential. So, you know, immediately got on the, I got on the phone with Paul. They conducted an expert panel to review all the, the research that came out of that study. Um, even Dr. Fauci talked about it on, on the news um, when he was questioned. But Basically, the the science was there, but it lacked context. Um, The G4 has been identified since 2016. There's been no report or indication of illness in people. And, you know, it brought out the the important point that um, Paul reinstated that since 2008, the USDA and CDC have had an ongoing influenza surveillance program, and G4 has never been identified in the U.S. So it just brought up some discussions that, you know, Maybe people were looking again to blame China, blame um, swine production. And this is something that is on the radar. But right now, you know, it doesn't look like it's anything to be worried about uh, like COVID has been on the human side. Well, I think it's important to keep our radar up for things that might be coming as long as we don't politicize that. And that would be always, to me, a concern that we want to know about the potential of of an infection, an epidemic, hopefully not a pandemic because we might be able to get ahead of it, especially if it's a flu, because with a, knowing about a flu, we have some technology for that. We aren't ready yet for coronavirus, although there's been some good news this week on vaccine development. And interestingly, they're using some techniques that have been done in animal science with mRNA, messenger RNA, and some other tools like that. So I found that interesting as this has been progressing. But what have we learned in swine health as we've gone through this covid was a swine problem because we couldn't ship them. ASF is a swine problem because it'll kill my herd. It just doesn't sound like I'm having a good month. Yeah. You know, the discussions around COVID uh, really lent themselves as some lessons for the swine health industry on, you know, epidemiology and outbreak response, which is things that we were working on um, with the the ASF uh, tabletop exercises and the the four-day working models where they would go through these things. But some of it really came to light with what's happened on the human health side. Obviously, if a foreign animal disease was to reach U.S. swine herd, we'd need quick response. We need test availability, diagnostic capability. Contract tracing has to be put in place, surveillance, response, and then, you know, just more response needed. Um, the national, uh, Paul brought up the National Veterinary Stockpile, which in the past has helped out with avian influenza, but hasn't had history on the pig side. And so the resources weren't available during that time to help with some of that depopulation, disposal. Also, that brings up mental health, too. I mean, people during these exercises said, okay, if it reaches this point, we're prepared. We'll we'll do a, a depopulation event here. But when it came time from COVID to actually have to do those from supply chain disruptions, it was easier said than done. Well, it was, it was devastating. I, I'm just watching my Twitter stream 
for my hog producers who didn't have to depopulate, but the feelings they had. So I can't imagine the guys who weren't talking, how they were feeling to actually do all that hard work and then have to basically compost your work. Yeah, absolutely. And and of course, there was other issues too, um, specifically down in Iowa with in the midst of all that, then having um, activists coming into that situation as well. So there's definitely more work to be done in the event of a possible foreign animal disease coming coming here. Well, at least it raises the, like you say, it raises the uh, attention to the issues involved, and perhaps we'll get more people talking about things than and I do some some gap identification, and that could be very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, just it helps us be better prepared and as an industry I think we've always been a little bit farther ahead in, mm-hmm. in taking some of these approaches and with all the disruptions we've been experiencing it it's good to see some of this news coming through that we're getting some progress on some vaccines some research different protocols put in place before something like this should happen absolutely I and mean, we need to remind the American public that we keep our pig operations closed so they don't get sick we're not hiding anything, That's, <laughs> which is part of our challenge in telling our story. Anne Hess, editor of National Hog Farmer, it's been great talking to you today. You have an excellent weekend, and thanks for your time, and keep on tracking all this stuff. Thank you, Willie. Thanks to Paul Lamore from The Farmer Magazine and Anne Hess with National Hog Farmer for their insights. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast looking at agriculture with the help of our national editorial team. But we have other podcasts you'll want to check out. The best way to find them is to visit farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. They're worth looking into. And we continue our in-depth coverage of all things regarding COVID-19 at farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs. And of course, the Farm Progress show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.